apologize for the screen up there is bigger than the image is bigger than what it can hold we can't get it to zoom down like normal it just gives us this nice little yellow exclamation point in the corner so um, hopefully that didn't throw you off on the words and stuff and if you can see that's too big for the screen so we apologize we don't know what to do about it so we just roll with it all right you may have to actually use your bible this morning uh, if you have one, uh, or that app, or whatever you got going on, okay? Because uh, I, was, I was watching one of the songs, and it said, my soul to sing, but the G is left off, so it said sin, so I just want to make sure y'all understand, we're not promoting that, okay? It's sing, we want you to sing, not sin, okay? Um, so, it's a screen issue, not a theology issue on our part, okay? Um but happy Mother's Day, again. That's why we've got this nice little backdrop set up, so you can go over here and get a picture with your kids, you know, afterwards, or if your kids are in here, whatever. Go over there with mom, get a good family picture right there. If your mom's not here, mine's in the back. I'll go get her and you ball her, however, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, just five bucks a picture, and we'll do that, okay? Um, and so, uh, happy Mother's Day. Thankful for mom's. Uh, and the role they play in our lives, but I'm grateful you've chose to be with us on Mother's Day. Uh, We're in a series on Job. How appropriate is that? You're like, how does that fit together with Mother's Day? Um, So I have to tie this together somehow the best I can, and so um, what I came up with is moms endure great suffering at the hands of their children, and so let's talk about Job. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. Just kidding. Um, I'm going to give you some parenting advice this morning. I'll throw in a little of that, which relates to what we're actually going to talk about um, this morning in the series on Job. Because you have to be careful who you let your kids hang around, right? I mean, we kind of, as adults, we know that. As kids, we're like, whatever, mom, dad. Um, You know, that whole saying, the older you get, the smarter your parents become. um, Because you realize, hey, they actually know what they're talking about, you know, and when you're young, you just kind of go, they're so out of touch, they don't understand. Um, and they may not know how to work your iPhone, but they do know a little bit about life and have some wisdom on principles about life that just, they don't ever get old, okay? There's wisdom from the Bible, there's things that God's can, God can teach us, because you could say, well, God's really old, not really, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's been around for a long time, like since everything started and before eternity okay but I think he's pretty smart his wisdom hasn't got old and so as parents pass that to our kids our kids have to sometimes go okay maybe they do know what they're talking about and the older you get you'll realize that if you don't now but Proverbs 13 20 says he who walks with the wise grows wise okay don't say he who grows with the cool uh, walks with the cool grows cool even though that may be true that's not what it's after the Bible wants us to be wise and godly, blameless and righteous, not all those other things we think are important. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay? So it's saying those people that are around you are going to have great influence on your life, the direction you go, and where you end up. Um, One pastor says, um, you show me your friends and I'll show you uh, where your life's going to end up. 
Those who grow up and mature and develop any sense about relationships knows this. The people you hang around will determine the direction and to an extent, the quality of your life. Okay? So moms, you know this, and that's why you're concerned about your kids' friends. Not people you're trying to reach, that's a different issue. What I'm talking about and what we need to be concerned about is that core group, like Jesus and the disciples, who he hung out with, those core friends. And as a parent, you have a great deal of influence on the kids that you're, you know, until they move out of the house, who they hang around. And you can take them to church. Um, you can you can shape their relationships quite a bit, more than you think you can, okay? Um there is a fly that is after me. Okay? He's there. Okay. Anyway, there's certain things that bother me, certain things don't. You know, people can get up in the service and like walk around and all that stuff. It doesn't bother me, but a fly. Okay? You can take your kids to church on Wednesday nights, influence their relationship with God, bring them to church on Sunday morning, let them hang out with the youth pastor. You know, let them go to Bible studies. You can increase, turn up the, the, the dial, so to say, on the relationship with God. And you can spend time yourself as a parent with your child and increase and turn up your relationship with your kids, which is a valuable relationship in their life too. And you can turn up certain relationships in their life, like other people that they hang out with, in regard to the friends that are in your child's life, that core group of people. So moms, this is for you this morning. What are you doing to influence your child's relationships inside, outside the home? And so all of us, especially, I, you know, dads, we need to lead in that. And you have the, we have that responsibility to do that. Um, because our, our, culture, this is a little divergent thing here, our culture is so experience rich at the expense of being relationship poor. That's just what happens to us. As long as my kids get to go to Disney World, they'll turn out okay, right? And if they don't, they're going to be scarred for life. What a poor quality of life. Every kid should get to go to Disney World. I think every kid should not go to Disney World. That's just me, but my, me and my wife would, would differ on that one. It's one of those things we have. She wants to go back. I don't, but you know how that'll turn out. So, um, but, but it's just one of those things of, it's like if, if you don't, as though if you miss out on experiencing something here on this earth, that you're, you're just not going to be as good a person, a greater person, or something, like, like as though your life's not going to be worth anything. I can think of how much greater, like I want them to experience this. Okay, once you have great relationships with them, put the right relationships in their life, get them in church, have a good relationship with God, with you, with some quality friends, so that they make it to heaven, because you don't want them to miss that. Okay? And relationships are what gets us to that point. Relationship with God, relationship with others. Love God, love other people. Right? Okay? So I'm totally off track. got to get back to this, but... Don't don't be relationship poor at, and be experience rich. It just it doesn't work. Okay, in the end, it doesn't work. But Job had some friends, and we're going to talk about them. Uh, we talked about them a little bit last week, and we're going to take a closer look today. And what we have seen for the last two weeks in these first like three chapters of Job 
was a blameless, perfect, righteous man, not without sin, but where there was sin, he would atone for that sin, make a sacrifice, repent, and turn to God. And Job loved God and was blameless in God's eyes because of his repentance. And so we have discovered such a thing, because this often gets us in this life, and this is what a lot of people can't understand, that there's such a thing as good people suffering. Not that we're good in and of ourselves, okay? But blameless, innocent people suffering, okay? And you've seen it. Um, those trying to do right and do good, and they sometimes have a hard time, and then there are those who are wicked, and they do whatever they want to. They take advantage of people, and they seem to be prosper and be comfortable, right? You've seen that. And so we're going to get into that a little bit today. And Job, at this point in the story, has lost all ten of his children, most of his servants. You know, there's a few that came and told him, here's what happened. You lost all your livestock. You lost your, uh, your, your kids. You lost, they lost their homes. You lost um, all your livestock. Everything, everything that was of great value on this earth to you is gone, even your health. His health goes, and it's all gone within two days. And all this in it, Job turns to God and blesses God, does not curse God. Instead of cursing God and dying as his wife suggested, won't you just curse God and die? He gave honor to the Lord and praised God and worshipped him and did not sin with his lips. That's what it says. The Lord, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his friends have gathered around him. That's what we saw last week. These friends came, three met up at one place, come to visit him, sit with him for seven days, sit on the ground with him in ashes and, and just were silent for seven days just mourning with him as he was grieving himself. And then at the end of that seven days that Job lamented, as we saw last week, and was devastated most of all. That's what we discovered last week was, was the most devastating thing to Job was that God seemed silent and seemed absent in the midst of Job's suffering. If, if I just had God's voice, if I just felt his presence, then I could make it through this and be okay because I value God more than anything else. And he is enough if I just could hear from him. And Job was troubled by the seemingly to him loss of the presence and the voice of God. And after every trial and affliction, Job trusts God and worships him, which is amazing to me given how easily... I complain about minor things in life. Like, and I knew this was coming, because this morning has been another one of those mornings where nothing seems to go right, like a video screen. You know, you get called at home, hey, the sound is all messed up. So I run down here in my pajama pants and my flip-flops and uh, start messing with sound stuff. We get that all worked out. Like, it just, and I can so easily go into that place of, complaining, right? Just complaining. Anybody else? Anybody else had that morning? You're just like, just complaining? And part of that for me is I fight it because I'm a Shelton, right? It's just, you're just naturally a critic, okay? 
And, and, and so it's that thing of just, just complaining about everything. And I got in that mode this morning, and, and, and so when you read about Job and the loss of ten kids in one day, and yet he turns around and says, God is good, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, how do we complain? How, 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 do, I, how do you read this and then turn around and go, well, things just didn't go my way this morning? C.J. Mahaney said, Job's example challenges me and humiliates me as well. And I'd have to agree with that. Then, I love this, he read this, someone sent him a tweet that they had came across about Job, and the tweet read, in quotes it was, you've got to be kidding me. And then the description of that quote that they sent him said, Job reading Facebook status updates of people complaining about their lives. You've got to be kidding me. Right? So it's not difficult for me to imagine this response from Job to my complaining. Like this morning, I just feel like he's like looking over my shoulder going, Marty, you got to be kidding me, right? You're complaining about this stuff. you got to be kidding me, right? So today we read after Job has spoken and he laments and God, the thing I fear has come upon me, he says. And, he's, and he feels like God has just abandoned him. And he's lamented about it and then we get to what Job's friends say. And as I said last week, and kind of preempted this, Job's, the best thing that they, his friends did for him is just sit with him and be quiet. And often that's just what we need to do with people. I do a lot of that. Even on chaplain calls. I just sit, and I'm just there. And they just should have kept quiet. And sometimes we should too. We're looking in Job 4, starting in verse 1. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered. So we get, we're going to just look at Eliphaz, his words this morning. I may mention a couple other guys, but it's basically the same argument all the way through from here through like chapter 31. It's amazing what happens. They should have just been quiet. Okay? But he said, Eliphaz says... If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? A wise person. So, so he starts out respectively, very respectfully and very kind. And it's like, hey, I don't want to upset you. Is it okay if I speak with you? But I've, re I've really, in this situation, aren't we supposed to say something? Like, that's how we feel. Don't we often feel like that? Like I've walked into this great tragedy with somebody and I'm supposed to, to bring like these great words of encouragement that's just going to fix everything. I feel like that as a pastor often. I'm supposed to just walk in and be like, hope is here. No, no. There's, I just need to be quiet and be there because the hope is not me. God will work it out and sometimes we just got to be quiet. But he starts out kindly. He said, but... He, then he goes on to say, Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. So there are times when we, 
when, like I talked about last week, there are times when biblical counseling counseling comes into play, and we need to say something, and people ask questions, and we need to bring what God has to say to bear on the situation. There's times we just need to be quiet. And he says to Job, you, hey, you've counseled many people that have been in the same position you are. You've helped them a lot. You've, you've done well. Then, then it changes from here. That's kind of the introductory. Uh, and it's a good... It's a good principle. I, I use it a lot. I, I don't need to say this because then you'll be like, oh, he's getting ready to tell me something bad, right? You want to bookend everything with love, right? A little love on the front. Talk about what you need to talk about. A little love on the end, right? Just bookend it with a little love. Okay, so that's what Eliphaz is doing. Not a bad thing, okay? You have counseled many people in the same position and and he then he goes into accusing Job of not taking that same advice, Right? He, he, he says to Job in this next part, you're not practicing what you preach, okay, buddy? That's what you need to hear when you've lost 10 kids, right? So in verse 5, he says, but now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you're dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? And remember this part later that we're getting ready to read. This is, this is where it all begins to go wrong. This is where the friends begin to infer that Job's suffering can only be the result of his sin. They're inferring this, and your sin must be great, they get on to later. They don't just say it's because of your sin. It builds and builds, and there becomes this argument, and, and they start back and forth, back and forth. It goes on forever, back and forth, back and forth, for chapter after chapter after chapter. And one gets louder, and the insults, insults get bigger, and it, they just start raising their voices over each other, and it gets it grows and it grows. But remember this later, because this is God. You know, they're saying, "Hey, God is just and fair, and punishes sin. So Job must have sinned to suffer like this, and you must have sinned big, buddy, right?" Because he goes on to say, verse 7, Remember now, who ever perished being innocent? Jesus. Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Have you ever heard that before? If you read the New Testament, what does it say? You reap what you sow. Right? That's That's what he's saying to him. He's going, hey... We know this is a biblical principle. God, this is a, a, a moral deal that just, if you do something bad, there's going to be bad consequences. Right? You reap what you sow. Saying this to Job. To Job. You reap what you sow. And here's the problem. Eliphaz, in his theology, has just never seen it any other way, regardless of if it has been any other way or not. It's just every time he has seen suffering, he naturally applies, they've done wrong. They've sinned. Over here, these, this guy's prospering. He's comfortable. He's done right. Okay? That's, that's, that's what he has seen, and that's the way he... That's the window through which he views the world, whether true or not. Okay? And there's a, there's a whole talk I could do on... I remember Rocky talking about 
how we see the world is, we have a worldview, okay? And we see the world in a certain way through this window, and there's certain stuff written on that window that causes us to interpret the world in a certain way. So it just depends what's written on your window, right? So for Eliphaz, what's written on his window is, if you suffer, you've sinned. It's your own doing. You reap what you sow. And, and he filters everything through that. There's no other category for him, okay? That's, that's what this is. You reap what you sow. Okay? I know the Granger County people are going, that's his sow. Okay? So, okay? You reap what you sow. Okay? He goes on to say, and that's one way to look at it. We're going to look at three categories that exist for suffering. Okay? By the breath of God, they perish, and by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid this quieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. Remember, this is poetry. We moved into from that prose part of the beginning of chapter 1 and 2 into the second part of chapter 2. It goes to a poetry form. When deep sleep falls on men. Dread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood up, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants. And against his angels, his charges, he charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Before, between morning and evening, they are broken in pieces. Unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord plucked up with them? They die yet without wisdom. It's people who aren't smart, who don't repent. People who sin, this is what happens to them. This is the advice he's this is the this is the comforting he's giving to his friend. Going on and on, you must have sinned. Job five verses one through seven it says, Call now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root, and I have cursed his abode immediately. His sons are far from safety. They are even oppressed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. His harvest, his harvest, the hungry devour and take it to a place of thorns, and the schemer is eager for their wealth, for affliction does not come from the dust. He's saying this just didn't happen for by itself. Nor does trouble sprout from the ground, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. 
He's saying, this, he's saying, dude, this is just the principle of life. Don't you get it? Not, this, is, this is wisdom from God I'm giving you. As sure as heat rises, you suffer because you've sinned. I mean, he's digging it in. Just digging it, digging it. And, and here's what, many people read Job and they think, man, his troubles ended back in chapter 3. Lost all that stuff. That's all we talk about, isn't it? Look at all that he lost. You know that I think that not to discredit losing children, all that. But you know what's maybe this chapter and what's to come is as tough as any part of this book. When you go through hard times and your best friends misinterpret your situation and turn on you, right? One guy said it this way, because Satan has disappeared from this book now, after the opening chapters, one and two. One guy said, Satan slithers away while Job's closest companions cozy up. And they become the voice for him to just give up, for him to say, you're wrong, and they badger him and badger him and do not relent. I mean, we can, we can go through a lot of stuff. I mean, there's people who, you, you lose a spouse, you lose children, you, you lose a lot, you lose a job. And if your friends are there to rally around you, there's especially Christian friends who pray for you, who come around for you, who, 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 who are there for you. Don't tell me it doesn't make a difference. Story after story of people who had that and they... They get to the other side and make it. And then stories of people who just felt abandoned and lonely and they didn't, they just gave up. This is Job's final test to me, his, his friends. Job gets blindsided by his friends after his lament. Job, Job's friends did not like what Job said in his lament. They're like, wait a minute, you just said something that we don't agree with and so we're going to turn on you. And this goes on from his friends, from here to like chapter 31 or 32, when another friend joins in at that point, comes into the story. From, from just what we read this morning, we can learn some things that we shouldn't say to a suffering Christian. What judgments not to make? Job's friends seem to only understand one aspect of suffering, so they apply it to everything. They are stuck in this rigid, religious law-based, cold, traditional, or what you'd say an orthodox, a common viewpoint of this time. And you'll see it even in the New Testament, we'll see in a moment. But they have misapplied a well-known theology. It, it is true that you reap what you sow. There is a cause and effect viewpoint that, this, that prescribes blame to, to suffering and for suffering. And, and, and they, they just apply that to Job's actions and nothing else. They just say, this has to be this way. They see the effects and can only deduce in their minds that Job must have sinned, right? And there are true principles at play here that these friends prescribe. This is a true principle. We know this, okay? If, if you go rob a bank, you're probably going to jail, right? If you do a bad thing, there's going to be bad consequences, right? You, you're mean to someone, 
you're not going to have a good relationship with them. There's bad consequences, right? We, we understand that. If I make good choices and I work hard and I do certain things, I have better options on the other end of that. I make bad choices, I have not so good, fewer and, and worse options on the other side of that. It's a principle of life. It is absolutely true. There are, there are true principles at play in what these friends prescribe. Okay, so God is sovereign. They, all, they would all agree on that. God is just, so he can't not punish sin, right? And in their minds, God always punishes evil and rewards good immediately, which is not true. He always does, but it's not always immediate, right? And this is where they go wrong, is if I suffer, then I must have sinned. There can be no other reason for my suffering, and that, that's the theology of Job's friends. And if you read on up to chapter 31, you'll see it clearly throughout, accusing Job of sin that he has committed that has caused his suffering. So they get to this first, they get the first part correct. There is a biblical principle that you reap what you sow. That's, it's Galatians 6, 7. You know, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Right? It's in the Bible. It, it's, it's a biblical principle. It is correct. And I've been over that. If you make good choices, you'll have better circumstances later. If you make bad choices, you'll reap the consequences of those choices. If not in the immediate future, then when you stand before God one day. So Job's friends don't know any other way to explain what's happened. God is just and had to punish your sin. Nothing else could have caused this. And so here's the deal. I know I've hammered this, but this is what they do to Job. They hammer that point and hammer that point and hammer that point. Why? Because they hear out of Job during his lament, and he comes back with time after time, after, back and forth, his, for Job to defend himself as blameless is for Job to look at his friends and say, no, God isn't just. That's how they perceive it. Job is even baffled by that. And these guys go back and forth and it's pretty heated. You understand what he's saying? You're saying, yes, and I agree, you reap what you sow, and I'm just telling you I've done nothing wrong. Well, then Job, you're saying God isn't just. Then he doesn't hold to who he says he is. Job in chapter 6, 7 through there, he comes back to them after chapter 5, defends himself. In chapter 8, Bildad chimes in. In Job 8, 1 through 4, here's what he comes back with. He says, how long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? How would you like to hear that after you've suffered like Job has suffered? And your friend looks at you and goes, man, you're just a, you're speaking like a bag of hot air. Man, what, what's your... You're speaking nonsense. Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert what is right? Listen, listen to what he says to him. This, when I read this, this killed me. I said, could you imagine saying this to someone? If your sons sinned against him, against God, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Well, that looks at Job and says, you know what? You know why your sons died? They must have sinned. They were just delivered by God into justice. 
they got what they deserved. Who would say that? So instead of getting comfort in his time of suffering, his friends turn on him, even tell him his kids died because they sinned, and they keep on badgering him with their staunch religion, using their one theological point as a whip without regard to any context or explanation or any other theological point. I know this. They say, you reap what you sow. And so it must be that way with you. But what about even this point? Okay, What about this other explanation for, sin, for suffering? We live in a cursed world, right? Cursed by sin, okay? We live in a cursed world. We know by the fall that nature, things are messed up. It's not what it should be, right? Storms come, disasters happen, health fails because of sin just in the world, cancer, illnesses. We don't, you know, living so long just tapered off because, because of the cursed world, because of sin. We now live in a cursed world. S- sin's still the issue, right? If you sin, you reap what you sowed in sin. Cursed world, it's cursed because of sin, right? So we're seeing that it's, it's still kind of the same principle, but it's, it may be that I didn't do anything. It may just be that suffering came. Like a storm, you heard me say this before, a storm come through, comes through Rutledge. It doesn't get to my house and go, oh, it's a preacher's house. He's a good guy. And just the clouds split and it goes around my house and comes back together and travels on through to Bean Station. It doesn't happen that way. Right? Cancer comes through the door. It doesn't go, oh, you're a pastor. You're a good guy. I'll just go next door. Right? It doesn't happen that way. It's a cursed world. And... In the cursed world, there's no respecter of persons. It just, what happens, happens. Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Right now, it's a cursed world. And so, storm comes, cancer comes, all those things. doesn't leave me alone because I'm a good guy. No, it's a cursed world with thorns and weeds and causing work to be hard instead of being a blessing. So sometimes due to this cursed world, bad things happen to good people, not just reaping what you sow. By the way, you also reap what those close around you sow. That's why you've got to have good friends around you. That's another part of that principle. If you're close to someone doing bad, you're going to suffer harm as well. You not only reap what you sow, you reap what those around you sow. Okay? But Job, throughout, that's why people go, well, it's my wife. Well, you're my relative, you're my son, you're my daughter, my husband, my wife, whatever. Like, I'm close to you in life. It is your life, but what you choose is going to impact me. So don't give me this, it's it's your life, I can do whatever I want to. Right? You know, it affects everybody else around you. But, Job, through all this, maintains his innocence his innocence. Job can't, like, how does he look at him and go, I, I can't repent of, sin, of the sin that's not, like, I can't make up a sin just to repent of, just to appease you. Right? Like, how am I going to do that? 
But God is just, and there are ways we suffer as a direct result of our actions. There's a moral order to which the Bible even describes one who does not do good as one who, in which the Bible even describes as, if you don't make wise decisions, you're a fool, right? You do reap what you sow, character and conduct do relate to consequences, Yet, Job looks at his friends who are trying to give him a good biblical counsel and says, you are miserable comforters. Can you imagine where this conversation gets to? I mean, listen to how he says it, because this is, I, I, I just love it. This is elevated, elevated, elevated. They've been yelling at each other, insulting each other. And Job finally in chapter 16, verse 2 says, I have heard many such things. Like, he's like, I have heard all your junk. And he says, sorry, comforters, are you all? Suffering at the hands of his friends after losing everyone and everything else that mattered. Job 19.19 19 says, all my associates abhor me, and those I love have turned against me. Job didn't know it, but he was suffering the secret purpose of God in heaven. We talked about it last week. So there's another explanation that goes above all this. We may see this, but this is the part that's hard for us to see. And I want to show you how this relates. Okay? So there is another explanation even beyond this, and we get this story to, to show us when we can't see whatever it is, whatever the cause is, there are possibilities beyond our sin and it's not just an issue of God is unjust. Above all else is this purpose That God has. It's it's Him and His purpose. It's above all this. His glory being proved. We talked about that last week. Us being tested to show that He is enough for us. Just Him, not the stuff He gives us. And Job's friends didn't get that. That theology was not in their heads. Job didn't see it either, but maintained his innocence and that God was still good and just and enough for him. God was not pleased with Eliphaz just staying right here. God even got upset. It was like, you you can read it in uh, Job 42.7. It says, It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Right? But he gave a true biblical principle. He was just misapplying it. So the, the, the thing this morning is, let, let's not fall in that pitfall ourselves. Don't assume you have all the answers in someone's suffering and whatever they may be going through. Don't always assume that when bad things happen, it just must be that person's fault. Okay, It must be your fault if you're suffering. We don't, we don't walk into things like that. We don't look at the external circumstances of any person and pass judgment 
on their spiritual life. Okay? That's just, that's just good advice. Because what we're doing, in, what, what this does in staying right here, is it, it leaves out grace. It leaves out grace altogether. Okay? And says, all my circumstances, all my consequences, whether I prosper, whether I don't, is all in my hands. It's all in my hands. It's based on my works. If this is the only principle that applies. Right? And, and if it's just this, I can't do anything about this. Right? There is no hope for me. There's no grace and there's no hope. This brings both. Okay? So don't fall into that pitfall. Don't fall in that pitfall with people. If you just had more faith, you'd be healthy and wealthy, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're saying if that's all there is. If you just had faith, you'd be healthy and wealthy. No. Don't think you know it all about someone and not give grace. It's a, it's a grace up here in God's purpose. Grace is what, it's what fixes all this. Right? It's what fixes a cursed world and reaping what we sow. There's only one remedy to, to, to all this suffering. To all those categories of suffering. And it's grace and it's Jesus. Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. It's, it's the remedy. It's the ultimate purpose. Is to bring glory to God to show that He is enough and that in His purposes He can set all this right. Okay? Job's friends so, so think they know it all and don't apply truth correctly. They have, they have to be, we have to be careful that we don't get arrogant in our knowledge of God's word and misapply it to our fellow man. So often we see so little that goes on with other people. And Job agrees with the theology of you reap what you sow, but he disagrees with the application to his life. He loves God, worshipped God, gave atoning sacrifices for his sin to God. So he knew that couldn't be true. C.J. Mahaney said, he wasn't suffering because he lacked faith. He was suffering because of his faith. If you go back and read why he got into this mess, God had a purpose God and Satan had a conversation. God said, look, I'll prove to you that I'm worth, that, it, that he loves me for me, not for what I give him. I didn't buy him his friendship. I didn't buy his love. He knows how good I am, and I'll prove it. And it, and it was worth it to God to prove to all of us that we read this story today, just as God may use your life to show it to other people, when you go through great suffering and say, God is still good, blessed be the name of the Lord, I don't understand it all, but I know that he's good. To glorify God in the midst of that suffering. 
Job is not being punished, but used for a great purpose against Satan and for God's glory. Don't we, don't we blame ourselves? Like, that's the first place we go a lot of times when we're going through suffering and something bad and we have bad circumstances. We blame ourselves. We look back and we go, okay, reap what you sow, but maybe not. But we all do it. We, you, you think, what, have, what did I do to deserve this? Isn't that where we go? Isn't that usually the first? Like, we do the whole, why, God? What did I do to deserve this. We look back in the past and say, I've got to look for something, which if we sinned, we need to figure that out and repent of it, right? But what did I what did I do that you would punish me like this, God? Don't we say that a lot? Anybody else here ever say that? Or is it just me? I just want to make sure you're still with me and I'm not talking to myself alone. Okay? But we never consider do we do we ever get out of this to here? Is it to show him to be great to others? That others might see that God's enough regardless of what we have, how healthy we are? So, so be careful to prescribe this to others. Listen, this guy named Francis Anderson, he wrote a commentary on the book of Job, and in that he said this. Men seek an explanation. Listen real close. This, I wish I had this ability to like say these things as well. But I'm sure he sat for a long time before he wrote this. Men seek an explanation for suffering in cause and effect. They look backwards for a connection between prior sin and present suffering. Listen to this. The Bible looks forward in hope and seeks explanation not so much in origins as in goals. The purpose of suffering is seen not in its cause, but in its result. You get that? Like we're focused on what caused this? Why? And God's going, just wait till you see how it turns out. Right? Job's friends were informed by a cause and effect theology that confidently assigned blame based on on external appearances. These guys did not realize that their assessment of Job's spiritual state based on external circumstances was unreliable. And here, there again is the point. You can't look at a person's prosperity or lack thereof, or suffering, or comfort, and make a judgment on their spiritual state. Okay? You get that? Not for us to judge spiritual state based on circumstances. We give grace. And we comfort. And we're there for people. We love them. We just wait for the result. Job's friends did not have any understanding of blameless suffering, innocent suffering. And when there's obvious sin, the Bible tells us to address that and help people out of that. But when it's just circumstances and there's no evidence of sin, that's what I'm talking about, okay? Job was just a, you know, they didn't have, his friends didn't have this blameless suffering, innocent suffering mentality, but Job was just a foreshadow pointing 
to one who would come. Jesus the Messiah, who would suffer innocently for God's great purpose. To glorify God and to begin the process of setting things right again, getting rid of the curse. Getting rid of, I need the Holy Spirit to help me to make good decisions because I can't be good in and of myself. Even my own good works are as filthy rags. So I, even, I, I need to get out of this reap and sow deal and get to, to God's grace and living in this, this perfect place He intended it to be. So God's in, the, in, in that purpose of setting things right. Job's a foreshadow of that. To undo the curse of sin. Even, even the disciples with Jesus mess this up, right? You go to John 9. Jesus passes by a man and, and sees him. He's blind from birth. You remember the story? He passes by and, and what do they ask Jesus, the disciples? What do they ask him? Who sinned? Like their minds automatically went there. He's blind, so therefore, God who sinned, him or his parents, that he would be blind from birth, who, who sinned? Somebody, I'm looking at his circumstances, somebody had to sin. Who was it? That way we can go around town and talk about it, right? Looking for a, looking back here for this cause that put him in his current circumstance. Same as Job's friends. That's what they did. Looking for the cause that made him blind, and they assumed because he was suffering, his parents, he had to sin. Jesus quickly answers. And what does Jesus say? You might know what he says. Right? He says, Neither. It is not the sin of this man, nor the sin of his parents, that this man would be blind, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's for this. Right? For God's purpose. You see that? So that people might see God revealed through this man's life and then Jesus heals him. So they, so people get to see, look how good Jesus is. Look what he did for him. Look at the power he has. He must be able to forgive sin. He must be about the business of working for God. We need to follow him. We need to listen to him. He's where it's at. He, he is for us, not against us. Nobody sinned. It was for God's great purpose. Don't fall to the impulse that everyone suffering has sinned and that is the reason for their suffering. And I hope this helps you in your suffering. Okay? If you got, I'm not saying automatically go there and don't examine yourself for sin. But I hope this helps you when you suffer and when you it helps you to comfort others who are suffering. You don't have to have an answer to why because you're always going to get the why question. I promise. I've been to too many deaths. I've been to too many places where there have been bad, really bad circumstances. And, and it's always, that question is always there. Why is this happening? I mean, there's, there's such moments that stand out. The, the drugstore shooting in, in Bean Station, I remember... I got given the customer that was in there, the, the gentleman that died, his family, and, and I'm standing there trying to take care of them while they're finishing the investigation and all that, and it was just, it, before they ever were, I even sat down and told them their father, their husband, had died, had been shot. 
I know you would. He would. This would not. You would have told me already. You would have said, "I know." He said, "But why? 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 Why is this happening in the life of a Christian? Much suffering is a mystery. We just. It could be this. It could be this. But." We might, might not ever know why. Job wasn't there for the conversation between God and Satan. He has no idea why. Job has one thing right, though. He may not know why, but he's looking out here. There ha- God's just. There has to be a reason. There has to be something good coming. We might not ever know why. We don't get to sit in on all God's conversations with Satan and angels and all these other people, right? I've so often had someone had to say to somebody, look at them and just say, I, I don't know. I give that answer more than any other answer. And I'm hoping that gives you the freedom to look at somebody when they say, why? Don't give them those churchy answers. Don't do that. Right? It's okay to say, I don't know. But I'm here for you. You know, when it's appropriate, you might say, no, God's the answer, not the problem. He's still good. He cares. I don't know why. I've seen children die. I have to look in a parent's eyes and just say, I don't know. I don't know. A couple months ago, went back to visit a guy who had lost his only 10-year-old son last year. And I still have to look at him and say, I don't know. I don't know. The cause may be a mystery to us. In our suffering, it may be a mystery to us. And on all the suffering for the Christian... Here's, the, here's what makes it different for us. In the suffering, there is a divine purpose. It always, it's always an opportunity for us to reveal God to others as what we love most. As being the thing of highest value to us. For others to see that God alone is enough for us. We don't have to have His gifts to love Him. We don't have to have things perfect to know that He's good. Our love for God is not bought with prosperity. It is simply because God is just that good. Christopher Ash said this, commentary, Job, it's not suffering that destroys a a person. It's not suffering that destroys a person. But suffering without a purpose. Right? So don't worry so much about the cause. Focus on the purpose. And we hope as Christians, we hope not on the past, not on what caused it all, but we hope in what is to come. Right? So don't get caught up back here. I'll finish this way. Close with this. John Piper 
It's in a sermon he did back on June 4, 2011. It's called The Works of God and the Worship of Jesus. And he said this in that sermon. He said, The reason causes are not the ultimate explanation for things is that God is not ultimately a responder, but ultimately a planner. Understand this, okay? In other words, when God ordains that something happen, God is not at the bottom responding to human causes. He, it, it's not his deal down here. I'm going. I have a. I, there's a. Here's the cause for that. Now, at the he is at bottom planning a purpose. He's not focused on the cause. He's planning a purpose. Okay. The implication of this for your life is profound. No matter what mess you're in or what pain you're in, the causes of that mess and the pain are not decisive in explaining it. What is decisive in explaining it is God's purpose. Yes, there are causes. Some of them your fault. Right? Perhaps some of them not. Right? But those causes are not decisive in determining the meaning of your mess or your pain. What is absolutely decisive is God's purpose. I hope you get that this morning. There's something greater than Job knowing the conversation between God and Satan and knowing the cause for his suffering, the greater thing is the results of his suffering. What results is Job knowing God more deeply? We'll see that later, that glorifying God more fully and showing others God to be enough in and of himself. So Job's hope increases, character increases, the results are far better than knowing the cause. So when when suffering hits you, Look for a purpose and don't focus on the cause unless you have sinned in a way that caused it. Give your attention to God in your suffering. Don't run from Him. Our suffering is not without purpose, so have joy in persevering through suffering. Our redemption from this cursed world, our forgiveness of sin, our making good decisions... All because of Jesus and the grace God gives. I had a guy ask me this week, he said, cornered me at a little social gathering. First time I'd ever met him. And he, he said, hey, uh, can I get into that? My, my wife, she's like a great lady. She goes to church like nine times a week. Like wonderful. Takes care of me. Get all good, right? Um. Just wonderful lady. You, you think I can, I'll get into heaven because I married her, because I'm her husband, I'll get to go with her. And I don't know if he was sincere or he was messing with me. Uh, I think he was testing me a little bit. He was in one of those environments where that can happen. Um, and so he asked me that. And he's married to her, so doesn't that get him some kind of credit? That's what his word was. Don't I get credit? for marrying her. And of course I told him no. It, it doesn't work that way. Right? 
It's an individual decision. Can't ride on your wife or your parents' coattails. It just doesn't work that way. Everything kind of changed in the moment. But I, I wish I could have got to and wish I could have said, no, it doesn't work that way. And actually, she can't get in being that good either. What you described to me is not the way it works for her either. It's all Jesus. It's only by His goodness. We can't be good enough. It's only His goodness and His grace. So let's pray. Maybe this morning that's kind of where you're at. Is uh, You're looking around at too many things, trying to figure out why things are the way they are, what, what you need to do. You're trying to be good enough. but And yeah, you reap what you sow, but there, there's a part of this that you just have to understand you can't be good enough. It's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross in your place for your sin so that His righteousness would be applied to you in God's eyes. So, so what you need to do is, just as Job would have, is you, you see, man, I've, I've got sin. I need to turn from that sin, repent of that sin, and a, and a sacrifice for my wrongdoing has to be made. And the great thing that's different from Job is Job had to do that over and over and over and over and over in that system of the Old Testament. But now for us that Jesus has came, He's done it once for all. And so that is, you place your trust in Him as you turn and say, He is good, I'm following Him. I'm turning for myself and my sin. You get His righteousness and, and, and His sacrifice is, is good enough for you forever. And that's a foreshadowing in and of itself of what we've seen in Job. Is, you know, if we were standing there on that day when Jesus hung on the cross in our place for our sin, if we would have been one of those people standing there that morning, we would have said, how terrible is this? What have we done? The disciples all scatter. They're, they're just, they're broken. They're like, how, how could this happen? It's, they we have crucified God. The worst thing that could have ever happened has happened. That's what's in their minds. We would have been standing there going, this is the worst thing ever. But now here we are, 2,000 years later, looking back at the cross and seeing the purpose and going, look at that. That is the greatest thing that ever happened. Because the purpose is there. He wasn't there on that day center and had no idea. So for, for you, maybe it's turning to Jesus and just saying, I'm trusting you for my salvation, for forgiveness of my sins. 
for the rest of us, Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great plan. May we see you in our suffering and see that you are enough. And through that, may others see you in us. May they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Regardless of our circumstance, would those works be there? Not our own works, but because of the Holy Spirit and your work in us. Father, would you give us faith to stand through trials and may we be changed. May we trust you and have hope. Father, I pray for anyone going through difficulties here this morning that their circumstances are difficult, that you would give them wisdom and peace through their journey. For those having those circumstances of just physical, needing the healing, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, spiritually, whatever the case may be, Father, would you just reach in and touch that situation? Would they see that you are good? And may they look toward a purpose on the other side and just follow you. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.